Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join our preacher for the message. We will be in Genesis 45, as uh, you all read together. And it's interesting because I was commenting to Pastor Bernie Um, This is our third time as a church going through the Bible reading plan. The very first time we went chronologically, we actually began with the book of Job. So I can't say that in January, at that time, we were reading through Genesis. But this is now our second time reading through the book of Genesis. And we have started uh, at the beginning of the year in Genesis. And we have come across other, you know, Sanctity of Life Sundays. and, And just for the Lord to speak to Uh, me and just point out this aspect of a pro-life statement being made was just amazing because like, man, I've read this story at least three times with you guys and many other times. It's one of my favorite Old Testament stories. And yet here the Lord is bringing out this specific truth, kind of like highlighted it as as, um, I was reading through the BRP and let it to be the verses for our sermon today entitled Life Preservers. So the story of this life preserver, as our brothers have kind of summarized in some ways, is an interesting one. He summarizes it here in verses 4 through 8 in such a way that it makes the whole experience sound like pretty simple and nice. But this has been 13 years summarized in these verses. In actuality, this story begins when Joseph is 17 years old. He is the father's favorite. His father's famous gift of coat of many colors affirmed this favoritism. Joseph is given uh, a view into the future via two dreams in which he sees representations of his brothers and then his parents bowing before him. And not unlike many young folks, the sharing of this information with his older siblings um, lacks some humility intact. Likewise, his older brothers, because of their jealousy, react sinfully and with hatred toward Joseph. One day he is sent by his father to go check on the older brothers and see how they're doing with the shepherding. Uh, And unbeknownst to Joseph, his brothers are filled with this hatred toward him. And inside them, this hatred births a desire to kill him. And so he makes his day's journey to Dotham, and, and in that time when he arrives, they're already planning the murder of their brother. Thankfully, he, the older brothers, Reuben and, and, and Judah, kind of talk them out of this, and they throw Joseph into a pit, as many of you know, um, and then they sell him into slavery into Egypt. He then becomes a slave in Potiphar's house and serves there for some time faithfully and rises to uh, preeminent, uh, uh, preeminence in the household and becomes the main steward of the household. Then he is falsely accused of uh, pursuing after Potiphar's wife because she sees this good-looking Hebrew man and she desires him. And like our brother said, it's a great example of what to do when that comes into your life. Joseph is, is even saying, how can I sin against Potiphar who's done nothing but good to me and God? 
So he's pursued after uh, by Potiphar's wife. He's then falsely accused of attempting to uh, seduce her instead or making an, uh, a mockery of her. And then he's put into jail. He's put into jail. He serves there. And again, he begins to rise in, preem uh, in preeminence in there in, in the jailhouse. Why? Because the word says that the Lord was with him. Yes, the Lord was with him. And that statement is, it rings out in, this, in these passages of Genesis. Then he interprets two dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. Um, and the dreams come true just as he said. The cupbearer is restored and the baker is hanged. And then it says that the baker forgot all about Joseph. So now he's a forgotten man. So he's been falsely accused. His brothers have thrown him into a pit and sold him off into slavery. And now he's forgotten. But the Lord was with him. And he summarizes those 13 years in this passage very simply and easily as if, as if it wasn't a torturous or difficult time. And that always has stood out to me because his perspective is on God. So this is the story of this life preserver. This person who was sent, as it says in the scripture here, and now, and no, I'm sorry, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. He has this forgiveness toward his brothers because you have sold me here. You have sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. And that's what we're talking about today, the preservation of life. Our church is a pro-life church. This is our Sanctity of Life Sunday, if you're visiting with us, in which we take time to, th to talk about and to think about uh, the pro-life movement and whether or not, what does God have to say about that? And why is it that it motivates us to be involved in the pro-life movement? And yes, we are an active church in that in, last, in the last year we began a ministry uh, head up, headed up by three sisters in our church who um, lead this ministry in sidewalk counseling and prayer ministry where we go out in front of Planned Parenthood on University Drive and we prayerfully um, hold these signs and hope to make contact with the ladies that are going in for an abortion. And, and so this, this ministry that has been birthed through this pro-life uh, perspective of our church and what God's word says is what we're, we're talking about today. Uh, this man is a, is a picture in many ways of, I think, Jesus is in the Old Testament. Joseph's life is so similar in all that he suffers and his betrayal um, and how he's treated, yet he has a confidence in God and a trust in him throughout all of it, and is able to give God glory for it. So this is, his story is captured in Genesis 37 uh, through 50, as our brother said. Interestingly enough, I'll just kind of throw this out there as a quick segue in the sense that it's amazing to me that Genesis 37, uh, Joseph is uh, given into captivity. We get that story. We get the dreams, and we, then we see that he's uh, sent off into uh, Egypt. And then right, out, right after that, we hear about Judah. Like in the middle of all this Joseph, there's this Judah and his little entanglement and mess and his family. And, 
And it's quite surprising and at the same time just but Godish and just amazing and gracious of God that it is through Judah that the Messiah comes. Joseph is the life preserver, but Judah is chosen to be the lineage of the Messiah. And I just find that to be like, it's just like God, like my sister Faith was praying this morning. Our ways are not your ways, Lord. And our ways are not his way, even in this preservation of life. And giving this boy a dream or two dreams of his family bowing to him, and then 13 years for that dream to come to pass. Not even 13, a little bit more. Seven of, of feast, and then two years when his brothers finally arrive, and in essence, bow before him. But nonetheless, there's this journey that he's got to go through before he does any of this life preservation work. You know, in our culture today, we have a lot of talk about dreams. You know, I go to Disney World and Mickey and Minnie, they tell me dreams come true several times from the castle. Um, and pursue your dreams and, you know, blah, 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 dreams, dreams, dreams. You know, pursue it, chase it, be it, yada, yada, yada. And this is the dream God gives him yet he doesn't know what the journey is going to be to get there. And sometimes God does put something on your plate and on my plate to do, a calling that he has for us to do, a ministry that he has for us to do. And it's further down the road, though the calling came today. And we have no idea what we're going to suffer or go through to get to that place and what we will have to endure and how we will be changed in the process. So this is the story of this life preserver. This is our man Joseph that is sharing these words here in chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. And then we have it within this passage, the view, and I put, I, I kind of threw things off, you know, per, pa, poor Pastor Bernie, he's got to deal with me and my sermon preparation time. It's not as, as punctual as his, and I kind of came up with rescuee, and then I said, why is, am I going to invent a word? It's just a rescue. This is the view of the rescued. Here's the view of the rescued. The brothers have been rescued from this famine, and here's their view being presented by Joseph. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. In the mind of man, I have done this. I have accomplished this. This was my idea. This doing, this, this place that Joseph is at, this, this is my fault. Joseph's brother's perspective is, is only on what they, that they had sold their brother into slavery. They, they couldn't see what God was doing. All they knew was what they had done. They had no perspective on how God intended good to come out of their evil action. This is man's, this is man's view that we throw in God's face like, what are you doing? And God's like, I got this. I'm writing a story. These brothers were weighed down by their guilt of their secret sin. Imagine carrying this all these years, waiting for God's judgment to finally catch up with them. For 13 years, they've been keeping a secret amongst themselves from their father, having watched him go through the morning of losing his favorite son, and they're keeping it to themselves and carrying the weight of this burden. So much so that in Genesis 42, verse 21, it says, Then they, Joseph's brothers, said to one another, 
In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. They're in front of him. They have no idea that he understands what he is saying because there's an interpreter speaking. He must be speaking to them in Egyptian and they're translating it. In that we saw his distress of soul and for the first time you get a little bit more of the story when he begged us and we did not listen. So we only hear that he got thrown in a pit but then his brothers told us that their brother was in the pit crying out in distress to them, don't do this to me. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. The rescued can only see what their actions have contributed to the situation they find themselves in. But then in this passage, there is the view of the rescuer. And there's these three statements here in this passage. For God sent me in verse 5. And God sent me in verse 7. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Sometimes when we're doing this ministry, this pro-life ministry, all we can see is our side. What we're dealing with on a weekly basis as a church, as we see Couple after couple, woman after woman go into this abortion clinic on the day that they perform surgeries on women to remove their babies. And that's all that we can see. And sometimes that weighs on us. Just like this secret sin was weighing on these men, it weighs on us. Our perspective is skewed and we don't see what God is doing. We have no idea how we're impacting the people inside Planned Parenthood, the people who are coming. We have no idea. We only see things from our perspective and it's so skewed and the vision is so poor because God sees the beginning and the end. Joseph is correcting the limited sight of his brothers. They are still viewing all that has occurred through the eyes of man. He is giving them a view of what has transpired through the eyes of God, the rescuer. He is saying, oh, my brothers, look to heaven. Look to the one who is writing this story. Sadly, as many of you have read in yesterday's BRP, he has to remind them that this, again, like our brother shared in Genesis 50, after Jacob has died and they buried their father, the brothers are worried about this again. And Joseph says one of the most fantastic verses in all of Scripture, in my opinion, because it has ministered to me in great ways. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The rescuer is God. He knows the beginning. He knows the end. He is writing the most wonderful redemption story. God knows where to cast his life preservers, people. God knows where to cast his life preservers. He's casting us out on University Drive in front of Planned Parenthood. God knows where to cast his life preservers. We just got to go where he tells us to go. Leave the rest in his hands. You don't have to worry about the rest. 
Who's going to be stopped? Who's not going to be stopped? Am I going to make contact? Am I not going to make contact? I was standing in front of Planned Parenthood in Washington, D.C. last Sunday, or last week. This is the mothership of all the Planned Parenthoods, okay? Planned Parenthood is that wall over there. There's Planned Parenthood. We have a sidewalk, and then we have a little strip of grass. We are literally at their door with speakers in front of the Planned Parenthood. We're not 150 feet away where we stand here in Miami. They're up front, in front of Planned Parenthood, in front of the door as the women are still going in to have their abortion. There were women who still went. There's 100 people out front, guys. There's 100 of us there praying, singing, and there's still people going in to have their abortion, some of them giving us the bird as they go in. Why do I tell you that? You can't change the hearts and minds of people. That is the work of God. All you can do is what God has called you to do. That's it. That's your responsibility. That's what he's given you to do and me to do. The rest is in the Lord's hands and his sovereign hands. Amen? The life preserver is only as good as the one who is tossing it. And the one that's tossing us is good. The real good. The, the truest good. When we were in uh, Tennessee, uh, my family and I, we went river rafting down the Okoye River. And my wife and I, we've been down, down, down this river a few times. We had never been uh, as a family. Uh, four of us went down, and my, my uh, brother-in-law and his children as well and his wife. We've never seen so many people fall in the river. And this is a Cat 4 river. If you fall in, your foot gets trapped, you're, you're going you're gonna to die unless you face your feet in the right way and you listen to what they tell you to do. But we just saw there was kids falling in all over the place in the rapids. And there was, our, our guide was with us, and he had given us a little speech about the little bag with the rope that you throw out to the people and how you got to throw it in front of them so that as they come down, they catch it. And now that you can drag them back into the boat and be aware of that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I heard this peel before, yada, yada, yada. You know, nobody's going in the river. And we hit this spot where two kids get just blown out of the raft. And these are like high school, um, middle school kids. And they're going down the river. And, and he's, he's already in action. And he's throwing it ahead of them. If he throws it behind them, they're dead. But he has to throw it ahead of them. He knows where to put it. So the life preserver that's in our boat is only as good as where the thrower, the rescuer throws it where he places it. So, again, you don't have to worry about the work of rescuing. You just got to let him throw you where he wants to throw you. I have a question for all of you who are with us today, and those of you here. Do you know the rescuer? Have you laid hold of Jesus Christ? For the most of you in this room, the answer is yes, but... I'm just saying this, in the middle of all this talk of rescuing life and preserving life, have you taken hold of Jesus Christ who paid the price for your sins on the cross so that you could have eternal life, not just life here in the flesh, 
but eternal life. Because you and I, we need rescuing from our sin. Christ came and paid the price for that sin on the cross and rose from the dead to prove that he was who he said he was, that he was the savior of the world. Have you taken hold of Jesus Christ? If you haven't, today is the day, and we pray that you would cry out to the rescuer, Jesus Christ. Amen? So here's some lessons from the future, for future life preservers that we can pick up from the life of Joseph. And these are just things that I wanted to share with you all. If anything, I wanted just to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ here at CCC, encourage you to continue on in the work of this pro-life ministry. The first lesson is it will be hard. Joseph was hated, he was betrayed, sold into slavery, falsely imprisoned, and used and forgotten. In Genesis 41, 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. It was, again, a 13-year journey. CCC, we have not celebrated our first year of being life preservers in front of that Planned Parenthood. We're getting close, but we have not celebrated our first year yet. We got a long way to go. It is going to be hard work. It is hard work. In fact, we need help. So let us realize it's going to be hard work. It's going to be discouraging. We are going to get the bird. We are going to get yelled at, and then we're going to get some thumbs up. Praise the Lord along the way. God sends his messengers to encourage us while we're out there too. But it is going to be hard work. It is going to be at times discouraging. I mean, do, you really, do I really think that Joseph went through 13 years of all that he went through just happy-go-lucky? His brother says that he was distressed, that he was calling out to them. Of course, he went through difficult times of loneliness and sometimes you feel like you're the oddballs, like we're the oddballs saying that children should live and not be murdered. So the, the, the journey will be hard. The next thing is that we need to be humble. In Genesis 50, 19, Joseph says, do not fear for am I in the place of God? Know that you are not in the place of God to condemn or to judge anyone that's coming to Planned Parenthood. But rather, you are a tool in the hands of God offering help, offering hope, pointing to the God who tossed you out into the turbulent waters. That's why when we gather there, you know, maybe some of you haven't come out because you haven't been through the training. And maybe you guys kind of think we're out there holding signs out, don't abort your baby, or something crazy like that. That is not what we're doing. We're out there prayerfully holding a sign, praying for every car that goes in, periodically making contact, telling these ladies that they have a choice, have an opportunity for help. Maybe... That's some of the perspective of some of the folks are scared that that's what we're doing out there. Some people believe that of us outside of the church. But ours is to come in and to 
prayerfully persuade, if we can, someone to make another choice, to make a choice for life. If all that we do is pray before Planned Parenthood, if all that we do is stand in front of the gates of hell and pray, that is enough. Because this is spiritual warfare. This is not physical warfare. It requires humility because those people could be us. Those people could be our daughters. There was a woman sharing at the March for Life. Her kids grew up going to the March for Life. She runs a ministry uh, uh, and is part of the ministry called um, oh, great, I forgot. It's where the women share their stories of, of abortion and how the Lord healed them and brought them through that time. And yet one of her daughters, while she was in college, got pregnant and had an abortion and kept it from her mother for years. That made me have a talk with my daughters. Yeah. It made me have a talk with my daughters. Because there's so much that goes into this. There's shame from the sin that got you pregnant in the first place. And the shame of that that keeps you quiet. And now this child is growing inside you. It's going to expose your sin. And so now there's fear over that. And this story, these stories play out every week. We see them every week. Let us be humble and compassionate for we are not in the place of God. The other thing that we can do, I know it's on the screen already, is we can offer comfort in God's forgiveness. I love the way Joseph says to his brothers, do not, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones in Genesis 50, the same place um, where he tells them that, that, that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. It is crazy as I'm reading through this, how much application there is for us in this part of our life, in this part of our ministry, and really it applies to every aspect. Even when these brothers went out to share the gospel yesterday in downtown, to bring kindness, to speak the truth in love. These brothers are coming to Joseph and they are full of fear. They're scared of what's going to happen. Guess what? A young pregnant girl or a pregnant woman at different times is full of fear. Fear is the motivator for those who find themselves seeking an abortion. Fear of the unknown future. Fear of a ruined life. Fear of what others will think. Fear of rejection. Fear of how to provide for a child or even another child. Fear that your man will leave you. Fear that you just can't do this mothering thing. Fear is a huge motivator in this. I want to share with you this testimony. When I was 17 years old, this is a sister in our church. When I was 17 years old, a senior in high school, I engaged in premarital sex and became pregnant. I was afraid and didn't want to believe that I was pregnant. So I convinced myself that I wasn't pregnant until... I couldn't hide it anymore. I was about five months pregnant, and finally, I needed to tell my mother. After I told her, she took me to a clinic to get a pregnancy test to make sure that I was really pregnant and that nothing else was wrong. 
The test was positive, and I was faced with a decision to have the baby or to abort the baby. My mom did influence me, and she let me make the decision on my own. In the back of my mind, I knew abortion was wrong. I really didn't know, I really didn't know why it was wrong. It was something that we never talked about. It seemed it would be a solution to the problem, but I still had a nagging feeling that it would be a bad decision. I also thought that I was too far along to actually have an abortion, so I decided to have the baby. In January of 1985, I gave birth to a nine-pound, five-ounce boy. We had previously made arrangements for him to be adopted so he could be raised by a mother and a father. Last week, he turned 35 years old. I understand how these girls feel when they're faced with an unplanned pregnancy. The main thing that goes through your mind is fear and thoughts of your life being ruined. You're trying to solve your problems so that you can go back to normal. But the truth is, whatever choice you make, your life will never be the way that it was. I'm glad to say I chose life and adoption for my baby, but that doesn't mean that it was easy. I have dealt with feelings of loss. I have questioned whether I should have kept him. Would he have been better off with me? Were his adoptive parents good to him? These are questions that stick with you. But in the end, I know I made the right choice. That lady is my wife, Cassie Quinones. We have talked about that baby boy many times in our marriage. And still, there's a sense of loss and pain, even though he was given life, so I can't imagine what it's like on the other side if she had chosen differently. But you see that fear was the motivator. And so we have to bring comfort at that time. We don't need to bring condemnation. We need to bring comfort. Even those of us who have kids, we know what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like. John knows what it's like. I remember when um, Alyssa was pregnant and talking to John Mark, and the end of the pregnancy is coming, and all of a sudden, the reality that you're going to be father, a father begins to really show itself, and you start to feel the pressure and the fear of, how are we going to do this? How are we going to sustain this child's life? But God, he provides but still, there's a fear. If there's a fear for us and we're in the perfect environment, what kind of fear is there for someone who's not in that environment? It has to be double. So be compassionate. Be a voice calling out that there is hope, that there is help. Shine the light on their fears. Let them know that there's help out there. And we have plenty of resources for them today, thankfully. Point the eyes of the rescue to God. Joseph answered, Pharaoh, it was not me 
God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Even when Joseph was being used and standing before the king of Egypt, the ruler and the, uh, of that powerhouse of that day, when he was asked to interpret the dream, God, uh, Joseph made sure to give God the glory. He took none for himself. He pointed to the rescuer. When someone is being rescued, their eyes and their ears need to be fixed on the rescuer, not even us. Not us, nothing that we have done. We are but the life preserver being cast out in the hands of the rescuer for his glory. So when we stand out there on Saturdays, it's not about us. And I believe that most of us know that. It's not about what we're going to accomplish. It's about giving glory to the rescuer, even if no one stops. Even if we don't speak to anyone, we're standing and being a light and saying, God says, no, this is not good. This is not good for you. He has a better plan for you. Of all the things that really stick out about Joseph's life is that the Lord was with him. When you read through that passage and and you see those words, it brings comfort to you. The Lord was with him. My brothers and sisters, the Lord is with those who are on the side for life. In your bulletin, there are passages after passages of scripture that talk about how God is pro-life. He is with those who are on the side for life. Know that the Lord is working in and through your faithful obedience. Know that the Lord is in control and trust in that truth. Joseph was just obedient. He wasn't a rebellious slave. He served his master's will. In today's society, talk about a servant serving his master's will. And slavery is almost unthinkable. Yet here is Joseph. He rises to the top because he becomes the best servant that he can be. He is faithful. He is trusting in God, that God who knows all things and sees all things. I'm trusting in him that he's going to work this out. Trust that God is working through that faithfulness. In closing, I would just like to share a word with those of you who have had an abortion, who helped someone have an abortion, who knows someone who's had an abortion that's affected your life. First of all, I would say that God saves. Amen? That our God is mighty to save, we sang today. That it, if you had an abortion, it is not the unforgivable sin. That God saves. That God forgives. That we all in here who have put our faith in Christ, we know the sin that we've been forgiven from. He has forgiven us all who have trusted in Christ. He's forgiven us of our sin. He forgives. God rewrites. He rewrites the story that, and the path that you were on, the story that you were writing. He takes it and he, rewrite, he rewrites it. What was meant for evil is now meant for good. God is the author that's writing the story. He can rewrite your story. And God repurposes. He's in the recycling business. He takes us and he repurposes us. It says that we are a new creation. We've memorized this verse. Behold, 
or the old has passed, behold, the new has come. We have been repurposed. So if this sin is in, 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 in your past, in your family's past, God can repurpose it. You can speak to women in a way that others can't. God can take that and repurpose it. My wife can understand a little bit better of what it's like to be in that place, although she made this other decision and this other choice, she understands the fear that a girl's going through. She can speak to them on that. If you've been through this, you can speak to a woman about this in a way that none of us can. So trust God that he saves, that he forgives, that he can rewrite, and that he can repurpose. That he, he takes the broken places of our lives. He takes the broken places of your life, those broken places that you don't want to tell anybody about, that you don't want to share. He takes those broken places, and those are the things that he uses to bring glory to his name and to use you in a mighty way because those are the places that he repurposed and and. Um, and uses to speak to people in ways that other parts of your life don't. So as, we move, as we're moving on in 2020, as we're going to eventually hit an anniversary day, Patty, what's, when, when did we start? Okay, so that's right, in May. So we're almost there. We're four months away from our first anniversary of standing at Planned Parenthood and being a light. And I would tell you, my brothers and sisters, there's still work to be done. There's still many years. The President of the United States stood at the March for Life and addressed the March for Life for the first time in 47 years. Praise the Lord. I'm glad he showed up, but for 47 years, there's been people that have been showing up at the March for Life faithfully, year after year after year, almost five decades standing up for life. That blows me away, more than the president showing up, that there are people who have been there for decades even though things aren't going in the culture the way that we want them to go, in the midst of the legalization of partial birth abortion, they still went and marched for life. So yes, it's great that the president showed up. I praise God that he has, he has stood with the pro-lifers this, in, in a way that nobody else has. Thank God for that. But the amazing part is that common people, quote unquote, like you and me, they go there and they take a stand for life. On 27th Avenue, it won't be the president showing up over there that's going to stop anything over there, that's going to turn anything away. It's going to be just common brothers and sisters in Christ taking a stand for life, praying that the people at the pro-life in Planned Parenthood would turn away from that sin and would be saved, that God would shut that place down that babies' lives would be saved. It's going to take us, not the president. Let's close. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are the rescuer, Lord, that this is your work. 
Father, today I just, I want to thank you, Lord. For the burden that you've given to us to stand up for life, to stand up for the unborn, to be a light, to pray, intercede, Lord, for those who are about to make a terrible mistake. To pray for those who have made it, to pray for healing for them. Father God, I pray that you would keep us faithful, that you would keep us humble, Lord. That we would be trusting in you, God, to do your work, Lord. That we would just be obedient. Help us to be humble, Lord, and compassionate and caring. And never condemning or judging, Lord, remembering, Father, where we have been rescued from ourselves. We pray for your blessing, Father God, over the next few months of ministry that we have. And whatever time you have before us, Lord, we entrust to you. I do pray, Father, for Patty and Helga and Yesenia, Father God. As they lead this ministry, Lord, I pray that you would protect them, Lord, from the attacks of the enemy, uh, from discouragement, Lord. Protect their homes, Father God, and their marriages as well. Give them strength to keep their eyes on you. To call us out, Father God, to do this good work that you have given to us before the foundations of the earth, Lord, to do. We don't see it all, Father. We can't see the end from the beginning, Father God, but you know it all. And you are writing a story, Father God, to your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage.